Were the Middle Ages really as brutal and sadistic as we imagine today? There are many records from the time that actually do prove the stereotype to be true. Let's face it, we all know what the character Marcellus Wallace meant in the film Pulp Fiction when he uttered his famous threat. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Oh, it sounds so much cooler when he says it. Welcome to Medieval on Your Ass Madness. We know that people then were just as horrified and frightened by violence as most of us are today. But as far as social relationships went, physical aggression was able to convey a message to both victims and onlookers, especially when it involved the law. The medieval European punishments for the most serious of crimes were spectacular in their ferocity, like being bored alive for forging money or having the tongue cut out for blasphemy. Even lesser crimes such as theft could leave the prisoner with a back looking like a raw liver from a flogging or suffering from third degree burns from branding with a red hot iron. The Middle Ages really weren't the best time to be caught committing a crime. And the authorities were very serious about their punishments. In the 1290s, one old guy recalled how, when he was young, he saw a murderer hanged. The dead body was then cut down and rehanged in another town for another crime, just to make sure. Degrees of Violence According to the historian Lawrence Stone, the levels of homicide in medieval England were 10 times higher than what they are today. In the UK of 2011, the rate was 1 in 100,000. In the ultra-violent English city of Oxford, during the 1340s, the rate was about 110 in 100,000. But with many small villages and towns miles apart from one another and no network of cross-country police, in fact, no police force at all, it's easy to see how someone could commit a crime in one place and then quickly escape to another area without being caught. It was also quite normal for people to have weapons such as daggers on their person at all times. The amount of alcohol that was being consumed on a daily basis probably didn't help either. Crimes Against Women as is usually the case, women tended to be the victims of cruelty rather than the perpetrators. Many acts of domestic violence that society tends not to accept today were deemed as an acceptable punishment for a wife from her husband for anything seen as a transgression by him within the marriage. Sometimes some of these incidents appear in the records of church courts, but only if the violence resulted in miscarriage, a permanent maiming, or a murder. Like when Thomas Elam attacked Margaret Perman in 1438. After breaking into her home, he tried to rape her and, quote, felonously bit Margaret with his teeth so that he ripped off the nose of the said Margaret with that bite and broke three of her ribs there. The case was brought to court because Margaret died and Elam was sentenced to be hanged. But that probably wouldn't have happened if they had been a married couple. It's said that the, quote, rule of thumb was used for what was seen as an acceptable level of violent discipline within a marriage. It was okay for a man to beat his wife as long as the stick used was thinner than his thumb. In Paris in 1326, Colin de Barbier battered his wife so hard with a billiard stick that she died. Barbier was found guilty of murder in a secular court. On appeal though, he claims that he wouldn't have done it if his wife hadn't humiliated him so much by nagging him in public. He said he had not intentionally meant to kill her, only to scare her but the stick had accidentally entered her thigh just above the knee. 
He said it was her own fault that she died because she failed to tend the wound properly. Using this defence, Barbier was acquitted. Pardon Letters These letters of remission are like a medieval form of appeal. They were legal documents, usually written by the lawyer of an accused person, and were sent through the royal chancery to a king or a prince in the hope that they would be granted a pardon. The letter would try to explain why the crime had occurred and what the mitigating circumstances were. If the king would agree that the petitioner's actions were justified, then they would be pardoned and now guilt-free, they could go back to their everyday life. Some of the French pardon letters contain a lot of details about the crime that was committed. Two men were drinking together in a tavern one evening. The first man decided to leave, whilst the other, who was the petitioner of the letter, stayed behind to have a few more pints of ale. Unbeknown to the petitioner, the first man was laying in wait for him outside. As the petitioner left the tavern to make his way home, the troublemaker attacked him and struck him across the face with a dead and rotting cat, causing a cut along his cheek. At this point, the petitioner got really mad and taking out a knife, he stabbed the cat swinger in the arm. Then, because of the, and this is my favourite combination of words we've had so far on this channel, cat swinger's poor personal hygiene, his arm wound festered, and he died from his injury. The man who was swiped across the face with the dead and rotting cat ended up being charged with murder, so he sent a letter of pardon to the French king protesting his innocence. The king did indeed pardon him. Fear and Loving Of course, just like today, medieval crimes were committed for a variety of reasons, including fear, anger, or love. It was for the love of his son that one man found himself charged with a murder. The son was being held in prison, and the father decided to stage a breakout. It was whilst the two men were in the middle of their escape that a prison guard caught them. The father killed the guard so that he and his son could make their escape together. The father was pardoned due to the, quote, great natural love that he had for his son. Love was often the reason used as an excuse for the use of sexual violence. A man could claim being in love to be excused from rape or murder. And in one gang rape case, fear was cited as a reason for some particularly repugnant behaviour. In a letter of remission, two supplicants had taken part in the sexual assault of an unnamed woman, who was said to live with a local priest. The meaning of this would not have been lost on a medieval audience, as the woman would already be seen to have an undesirable reputation. The men claimed that they were forced to have sex with the woman under the threat of violence from the other men that were taking part in the offence. That to not take part meant they would have been maimed or killed in some way, they claimed. Many of the poor women mentioned in these sorts of cases are completely unnamed. It is as though they are worthless in the eyes of the medievals at least from the viewpoint of the offending men and the royal administrators. One such woman was quite elderly. She was asleep in a room at a hostel, minding her own business, when a man entered. He had been drinking at a nearby tavern, and when he stumbled home, he says that he went to the wrong room by accident, and in his drunken state, he climbed into bed with the woman who was in her 70s when he tried to sexually assault her. She woke up and fought back, damaging his private part in the process. So, in terrible pain and anger, he attacked her. The woman died a few days later. The man was ridiculously pardoned because it was said that the woman was so old, the authorities weren't sure whether she had died from the violence attack or from old age. The fact that she was described as a woman of ill repute probably made a huge difference to the judgement. 
Of course, we are only seeing one side of the story when we read these letters of remission. The defendant is not going to tell the whole truth if he or she thinks that the judgement will go against them. Many of these pardon letters show how a major incident can occur from a minor argument, such as the Dutch account of a fight that starts because someone throws a bucket of urine from a second story window, which is probably a common occurrence at the time. Unfortunately, the urine lands on a passing stranger, who, most aggrieved at being covered in someone else's body waste, starts a fight and hits the pish thrower who later dies. It's easy to see how such a little thing can escalate and go so horribly wrong. Carnage Military aggression and social unrest have always been a great excuse for some bloodshed and butchery. All over Europe, for the generation after the Black Death, class tensions were exasperated. The 1358 Jacquery Revolt has been described as one of the bitterest and bloodiest in French history. The chronicler Frossard described some of the ultra-violence that occurred during that time as, quote, "...certain people of the common villages gathered together without any council, and multiplied until they were a thousand, burnt and slew all the gentlemen that they could lay hands on, and forced and ravished ladies and damsels, and did such shameful deeds. Among others, they slew a knight and then put him on a spit and roasted him in the sight of the lady, his wife and children, and after that the lady was forced and raped by ten or twelve of them, and then they made her eat of her husband, and after made her die an evil death with all her children. Eventually, the Parisian merchants who had supported the revolt lost faith after their leader was killed. Ironically, he lost control of and was murdered by a group of his own rebels. The aristocrats then attacked the peasants who were beaten down in a display of more savagery and carnage. It was resentment that triggered the Ciampi uprising in Florence 20 years later. Again, the lower classes felt that they were being overlooked. In the late summer of 1378, the palaces and townhouses of the rich were looted, gutted and burned. Military Aggression Edward, Prince of Wales, known as the Black Prince, was the eldest son of the English King Edward III. During the 100 Years' War, which was over the succession of the French throne, the Black Prince led a series of raids into France. These were known as chevauchies, a French term meaning ride. These raids into enemy territory were all about laying waste to the buildings and land, causing as much terror as possible onto the people. During the Grand Chevauché of 1355, when Prince Edward went into the Languedoc region of southern France, he took between six and 8,000 soldiers with him. He boasted that, quote, not a day passed without a town, castle, or fortress being taken. In just one day, four towns were burned down. The chronicler Geoffrey the Baker gave a detailed account of the campaign, making a list of the 500 places that were ransacked and burned to ashes over the two months, mentioning the sheer terror of the people. Frossart, a native Frenchman, went further and reported on the tremendous slaughter, violence, and mutilations. The raids became more infrequent after the Black Prince's premature death in 1376. It's clear that the medieval society was extraordinarily violent, but it's also clear that the ordinary people were just as worried about it then as we are today. The medievals weren't simply accepting of the violence that went on around them, they found it disturbing, and we know this because they worried about it, talked about it, and wrote about it. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Please do subscribe to the channel if you like these videos and leave a comment below on any topics you'd like us to look into. Thanks for watching, see you next Friday. Cheers.